Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. It's Monday. That means we're back with the MMA weekend recap. Dominic Salee, UFC 265 happened Saturday night. Came just as soon as it went. And it did. <laughs> it was a great night of fights. And it's a, obviously, uh, I, I forgot to throw in episode 127. Oh. Someone do it right there. There you go. <laughs> um, but tell me, how are you feeling? I know you've had a long day at the pool. How's the, are you, are, are you feeling a little burnt? I, I, I'm going to be honest with you today. It was about an 88, 90 degree day, full sun. And I was just kind of burning to a crisp back there. But that's all right. You got to get the tan somehow. I did put suntan lotion on. No, no worries, right? We're trying to be protective here. Uh, but, yeah, it was a good weekend, man. Another pay-per-view in the books. We're literally already a week through August. It's absolutely nuts. We're approaching the final months of 2021. But uh, good fights, good pay-per-view, a new interim heavyweight champion to talk about so tons to break down with you my friend i'm happy to start the week off with you how was your how was your weekend well my weekend's going pretty good because uh happy one year anniversary dom true um, i guess we won't get to talk about it on the day because <laughs> yeah, uh tuesday was, was uh, this tuesday will be one year since we started this podcast so yeah um I'm glad to see you forgot our anniversary. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We had to restart uh, the episode. <laughs> but um feels pretty good to have done yeah. this for a year. Yeah. Um obviously a lot of a lot of work still to be done here. We ain't satisfied yet. Mm-mm. But no, seriously, thank you guys that have been listening or watching. Um, no matter when you kind of got involved with us, whether it was day one or uh Friday. Three sixty four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it anyways. Um, and uh, yeah, but besides that weekend was good. Um, got to watch the fights at friend's house. Had a couple people watch them with me. So that's always nice. Um, in case you guys, you guys probably can't tell that we're, we're recording this episode at a, about 7 PM on Sunday. You know, usually we like to do these a little bit earlier now. Yeah. Um, you know, now that time permits me to do these a little bit earlier in the day, try to do them as early as we can. Yeah. Um, but Dominic, I regret to inform you that that has become. Oh boy. <laughs> there has been a wrench thrown in, in this. Our production. Um, yes. Yeah, so I just moved apartments. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned that. Yes. Um, I've been doing, I've been recording in the living room the last couple episodes. Now I'm in my bedroom. So like new setup. Hey, oh, oh yeah. What's oh, going yeah. on? Um, <laughs> But uh problem is is I, I when I first moved in I, I would notice while I'm working because I've been working from home I'd be sitting there like typing away you know I'd be sitting like I am right here and I would just start hearing this like loud banging noise mm. and it was just like over and over and over and I'm like and it's no ghost that? no ghost in the apartment I'm either like what is, no I'm like what is that well it turns out that there's a drummer living next door and one under uh, to my apartment. So then I'm like, well, that sucks because not this guy goes for about four hours a day. So he's very committed. So all the respect because Hey, I, I if you're going to do it, you might as well do it right. But <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate for me. Um, however, what has become worse is new members to this band have been added every day. Um, so I'm now they are now up to I think a, a quartet. 
of, uh, of rockers down yes. there. So today they started at probably like 11 or noon, and they did not stop till about 5, 5.30. So I, I, I got a, quite the show. That's a I'm solid a, session. <laughs> electric guitar going, bass guitar going. Hell, I'm waiting for the singer. Yeah, yeah. As Dominic said, this is loaded diaper reunion <laughs> tour. Yes. Um, but yeah, because of that, we we had to push back our recording because I don't want you guys to, um, I don't want to get copyright striked by the the band's music playing in our episodes. Right, right. Maybe so, they'll become our intro music band in the future. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Dominic's always thinking five steps ahead. <laughs> yes. While I'm playing checkers, Dominic's playing chess. Right, <laughs> but you know what? We're not playing. We're uh, no. I was gonna try and say something, but I'll just let you go. <laughs> um, well, that's good because I don't know either. So <laughs> let's, let's talk go. about UFC two sixty five. But we're gonna start with fight announcements. Only one to go over here, and that's an unfortunate one for the second time. Dominic, yep. the fight between Sean Brady and Kevin Lee is off of that August 28th card happening in about three weeks. And this time it's Sean Brady who's having to pull out. I believe last time it was Kevin Lee. So um, I guess if I'm proposing a question here for you, do you, what do you want to see happen here? Do you want, do you like this matchup so much that you want to see it rebooked immediately? Or should the focus be more so on getting Kevin Lee a matchup right now? Cause he's had a long layoff and uh, maybe they go their separate ways, come back, and do the matchup later. Yeah, I love the matchup so much because it's a great test for Brady because Kevin Lee is, you know, fought for an interim title, been in there with the tough guys. It's a big challenge for Kevin Lee to come back after such a long hiatus, two knee surgeries. However, in this instance, this got announced with a little over three, nearly four weeks to go um, until that fight on the 28th. Try and keep Kevin Lee on that card if you can. Um, get him an opponent, someone at least relatively prominent in the 170-pound division. But if it just gets delayed, maybe it's not too bad of an injury from Brady. I didn't see the specifics. I wouldn't be opposed to it happening in the near future. But if you can get an opponent for Lee, I say you do it. I completely agree. Kevin Lee's layoff, it's just been – it's literally was the first card – well, I guess technically the last card before UFC had that gap back when uh, COVID first – uh, reared its ugly head. So, mm-hmm. you know, think of that. That's March 2020, early March 2020, yep. all the way to now we're in the fall almost of 2021. It's a very long layoff, and that's a guy coming off a loss. He's moving up divisions again, mm-hmm. uh, going to make another crack at 170 pounds. Um, a tough first matchup in Sean Brady. So if you're Kevin Lee, um, not that he sh- would necessarily think like this, but if you're a Kevin Lee fan, maybe I should say, you should be hoping that he – finds a matchup here, a late notice, short notice, I should yeah. say, replacement, because it'll likely be someone not at Sean Brady's caliber. So it'll at least be more favorable for Kevin Lee to maybe get a statement win in his return to welterweight. While for Sean Brady, just hope he heals up. I'm not sure how serious the injury is. Uh, we saw him a lot more recently than Kevin Lee, so this shouldn't um, deter his, his path to uh, really – you know, reaching his ceiling too much. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it is a shame because I, I do like the matchup. I thought it was very intriguing. But I care more about seeing Kevin Lee get a fight at this point. Right, than like forcing this one to happen. I agree. Yes, agreed. 
So that's really all for our fight announcements, and we're just going to go right into UFC 265, the main event. I mean. <laughs> Man, this uh, the headline says it all, doesn't it? Yes. The it real deal, surreal, <laughs> gone. Yes, right. Um, so surreal gone gets the TKO victory over Derek Lewis in round three, four minutes and 11 seconds. Um, surprisingly, the actual finish here, which I think a lot of people, and I could be wrong because this is how I viewed the, the two most likely outcomes for each side. I looked at this like you're going to either get an early knockout from Derek Lewis right. or Surreal Gon's going to outpoint to a decision. Yep. And I feel like that's what most people were expecting here. Um, however, it seems like the actual finish of this fight is not really being discussed here as much as just the overall performance surreal good god put on here so not yeah. all for loss i don't necessarily think the folk the focus should all be on the finish i think the overall performance was exceptional mm. one of the best performances of the year Flawless. it was it was in some ways expected yeah um not that derek I mean, derek lewis is a great fighter there's a reason that this was his second heavyweight title fight technically so he's even though we all all the talk has been about how the guy is basically just all power, no technique, whatever. We know that's kind of not as accurate not a, as yeah. It's it's all relative to I guess the level of competition or fighting. A lot less technical than I guess the other top heavyweights, but he's still more technical than me or you in he's terms there for of a MMA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I like that the real gun is getting. I felt like he did get some level of respect after this fight. That not only did he essentially shut out Derek Lewis by all metrics, but he also just got that finish. And while you can maybe point to this fight and say like, ah, wasn't a very exciting fight, whatever, you know, cause that was my concern was that mm-hmm. a surreal God was going to start being labeled as a boring fighter. I still saw a little, some whispers, but it didn't grow as loud as I thought because he made a statement here Yes, and Dominic, we know what's next or what should be next, I should say. We have the title unification bout between Francis Ngannou and Surreal Gan. What are your thoughts on Gan's performance here, and what do you think of that matchup with the champion, Francis Ngannou? Yeah, his performance, literally, like you said, one of the best of the year we've seen. It was near uh, flawless. I mean, the striking numbers, while are not officially confirmed, something upwards of like 120 to 15 or 16 mm-hmm. in Fergon's favor, obviously. And he really just put on a, a clinic. And like you said, it was expected in terms of, okay, if Gon wins, this is how it's going to look. And I didn't think it was even going to be that one-sided, but, man, he just looked incredible. Um, showed his ever-evolving game. I mean, this guy just fought a month ago. Gets put in here with the Black Beast, Derek Lewis, one of the most dangerous fighters in UFC history. Made it look easy, barely got hit. Chopped him down with some nasty, very, very hard leg kicks that hurt Lewis badly en route to the finish, ultimately, in that round three. Landed very flush, clean shots, was throwing together good combinations. He did everything and then some. And, uh, yeah, I mean, him and Francis Ngannou, what a storyline there. Former teammates, um, you know, both started and, of course, gone still in the Paris-France region, so a smaller circuit. Here they are now uh, with Fernando Lopez, who took Francis to his heights and then now is bringing Cyril gone as Francis now trains in the States. And uh, it's just – it's all there, right? An undefeated fighter 
that just finished Derek Lewis interim champion against the most dangerous man maybe ever in the UFC history and Francis Ngannou. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's going to be a collision course, and I can't wait to see it because really you kind of have another Lewis versus Gon matchup except Francis is more athletic than Derek Lewis, more powerful than Derek Lewis, more tools in the toolbox. So it does add that much more to this fight that's already super highly anticipated. I can't wait for it, man. Derek Lewis fans would would look at that comment and say, well, technically Derek Lewis beat Francis and Ghana. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Even if it was the absolute worst fight of all time. Um, I think what I I foresee – in this matchup when it happens. I think it's going to happen quicker than we're expecting, first off. And Ganu and his team were reportedly very committed to fighting in September. Obviously, that might not be when this fight happens now because literally Ganu's fought two straight months. However, I do think you do see this fight before 2022, which is very important in my opinion because we weren't big on the interim title being introduced here. However, it happened. The fight was a showcase for Gon. He is his stock has risen due to the fact that he had gold strapped around his waist, no matter what we think of it. But now he is the rightful next guy for Nganu. And we saw in Nganu's title win over Stipe the advancements he had made in his game. Not only yeah. was the power there, but he was kind of ragdolling Stipe in all facets. I mean, mm-hmm. even in the grappling, he was winning. Offensively that's, and defensively. That's yeah. terrifying because yeah. we knew that's where Stipe's clear route was in the first fight. We thought that would still maybe be there in the second one. Um, he showed that's not the case. He is not the same guy. Mm-hmm. So once again, I'm going to introduce this this theory of Surreal Gone might have to be perfect for 25 minutes while Nganu has to be perfect for simply one, one punch. Yep. And he is just a more technical fighter at this point. Then at Derek Lewis, he's faster, he's stronger, he's yeah. more powerful. So because of that, it does introduce an even greater challenge than what we thought we might have with Derek Lewis. But the result could end up being the same because I really like Surreal Gone as a potential next champion. And honestly, Dominic, I think there's a good chance this guy's not losing for a long time. I don't know if there's a heavyweight, and this includes – the champion, and this includes John. a man that's coming to heavyweight, John Jones. Yeah. I don't know if anyone can beat Cyril Gone right now because he's only going to keep getting better. And this is only 10 fights into his career, and he's holding an interim gold belt around his waist. Going to fight for an undisputed title, hopefully by the end of the year. I personally think it's going to happen in December just because all the other cards are booked, but he took mm-hmm. no damage. It's got to be the end of the year headliner. And, uh, yeah, we could be on to something very, very special that we've never seen before in UFC heavyweight history. And before we move on, I want to give at least a little bit of time directed to our loser of this bout, Derek Lewis. Obviously, this is a gut punch, um, mm-hmm. both literally and figuratively. Um, this was in his home hometown, home state. Yeah. Um, you know, he, all the everybody was rooting for him here. And you said something interesting on Friday that I really didn't think about, and it was that, it felt like a lot of the talk surrounding this fight, despite the fact that Lewis was the hometown favorite and whatnot, it felt like a lot of the talk was about, was surrounded or surrounding Surreal Gone. Yeah. 
And while that's probably true, I did notice probably a, a greater increase in terms of uh, casual viewership by, uh, because of Derek Lewis, because, yeah. you know, he's, he's really done a good job of sort of getting his personality out there in these post-fight interviews and stuff, just saying the craziest shit. Um, so I think you're right, though, in terms of like a hardcore fan base and, and a lot of the journalists around. I felt like a lot of the talk was surrounding Surreal Gone. So Derek Lewis kind of came in here as a big underdog and ultimately performed adequately, if not even more so than the, the odds had placed on him. Now, truthfully, despite how, I mean, these when you look at the metrics, the stats, it's, I mean, it it looks like Derek Lewis shouldn't even be in the same octagon yeah. as, as a guy like Surreal Gone. However, in my opinion, this is this was kind of what I expected, which is so weird to say. So weird because, I mean, this was a shutout by any way you can measure it. It was a shutout. I mean, literally even by the, the actual striking numbers, like you mentioned, it was yeah. like 115 to 16 or something. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. However, for Lewis, we've, we've always known him to be this guy that can make magic happen even when – it's his time seems so bleak. Yeah. Alexander Volkov fight. I really, I, I will never forget seeing your face when we watched that. Cause you said those, those words, you're the reason Volkov lost. So if that six, seven Russian decides that he wants to make someone pay, he's coming knocking on your door. No, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, I remember we were watching it and there was like 15 seconds left. And I, and like Volkov had just basically did Basically did what God did, yeah. but maybe a little less. And you were like, this fight's over. Like, I forget. It was like, this fight's over. Like, move on, next one. You know, we're drinking a little bit, so it's kind of like the the anticipation for McGregor or for, for Tony and Anthony Pettis and then yeah. McGregor-Habib is kind of through the roof. And then um, out of nowhere <laughs> in those last Holy. 10 seconds, Lewis lands that bomb and then the follow-up shots on the ground to put away Volkov. And uh, I'll, I wish I still had the video I took of your reaction when it happened. It was so God, funny. Me too. <laughs> I know. But um, that's Derek Lewis, though. And that's not just a one-time thing. I mean, the guy has constantly – Come from behind. Know, he gets – he yes, he, he always comes from behind because, again, it's that, that idea that he only has to be perfect for one second, which yeah. is, I think, kind of ca- – He's very good at timing his power shots. I mean, you look at the Curtis Blades knockout. Yeah, that was pure perfect timing. Yeah. And he definitely baited Blades yes. into that. Like, that's talent. It was calculated. Right yeah. So, with all that being said, I'm kind of rambling here, but that's, I want to give Lewis some respect. And I guess this is a guy that at this point has fought a lot of the top contenders of heavyweight, Dominic. But what matchup would interest you for Derek Lewis? Even though this was a tough loss, you still think that the guy's got a decent name to him, and he's going to be fighting probably top ten level guys, probably on the 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 either fight night headliner or co-main. a co-main pay per view, yeah, or a feature bout, something like that. Yeah. So, what name maybe sticks out to you right now for who's next for him? Got to be Biggie Boy, right? Jarzinho Rosenstroik, I think, mm-hmm. would be the way to go. He's coming off of that victory against Augusto Sakai uh, after he lost to Cyril Gaon. So he's riding 
that one win there, uh, and he looked really good in it. One of some of the best we've seen of Rosenstroik, and then he got the finish with like a second left in the fight or in the round, in the first round. And obviously, Lewis was on a four-fight streak uh, coming into this one, two, the latter two by KO before losing to Gon in the interim bout. Just a fresh, mat- fresh matchup, two guys that haven't fought before. Two heavy hitters. I think you could easily headline a fight night between the Black Beast and Biggie Boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both guys that have headlined multiple cards before. Uh, that, that matchup seems almost like tailor-made. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rosenstroik does have probably more technique than people would give him credit for in that matchup because yeah. I think people look at those two as almost like they're the same fighter. I feel like and he's still a really underrated guy, really. Uh, he really is. I mean, it's it all comes down to that I, from what I've always seen and heard is that Rosenstroik and Lewis, are, they, a lot of people like to put them as if they're the same fighter. And yeah. It's just not the case. Rosenstroik has power. You saw what he did to Overeem where he kind of hadoukened him <laughs> into the cage, yeah. and uh, which was nuts um, with like two seconds left. Um, and against Sakai, man, he put it all yeah, together. That's know? true. But I think he has a more complete game. Yeah. I think his, his striking even is very good in that heavyweight division. Um, but again, it's going to be the same kind of test for him against Derek Lewis because he has shown that he can get put out. Yeah, obviously, you know, Francis and Ganu in their fight with Rosenstreich. Uh, you look at the it was amazing to watch it in real time, but then you go back and it's watch it, and you're like, these strikes are so yeah. telegraphed, and just I mean, sometimes you can't do anything about it if you yeah. can't get out of the way, you're gonna get touched with one of yeah. those, and it's just night night. So that could be a similar battle he'll have to fight here with Lewis. But I, I do like that fight. I wish we would have saw Abdurrahimov and Dawkus. Yeah. Because I, I would I would say Dawkus if he had won that. I think he has a high ceiling. Yeah. Um, and I think that would just be an interesting matchup again, a fresh one. So, yeah, one of those two, if da- if Dawkus, Abdurrahimov get rebooked. or mm-hmm. I would even say Chris Dawkus now. He's number 10. Yeah. Um, I know that's a – quite a steep step down, but I don't necessarily want to see him run it back with Volkov. I know yeah, he's, he's fighting so many of them already. Yeah. You know, it's, there's not a ton. I mean, he, he has a lot of options. It's just a matter of when he wants to get back in there. And obviously you know, like we're making it clear here, him and Stipe probably doesn't make sense. Right. Cause that is a matchup that's never happened, but just doesn't seem. It's just not going to happen. I just yeah. don't see Stipe taking that fight. Right. So mm-hmm. you, you're only left with so many people. Yeah. Let's move on to the co-main event. I mean, um, this was, I mean, hey, look, with the co-main event, we we didn't put this in our headliners for Friday, and um, Jose Aldo decided to go in there and put on a hell of a show, a hell of a performance, turning back the clock as the headline states. This was his best performance as a Bantamweight. 100%. He looked very good against Marlon Vera, but this was a step up in competition, more in his actual range, I guess, rankings-wise. Yeah. Pedro Munoz, a guy who's very – had some very big wins in the division, including over former champions like Cody Garbrandt. And Aldo, in my opinion, shut him out. I thought it was 3-0. Yeah. Um, it was a great fight. Munoz was never out of the fight. But Aldo, when it came to the leg kicks, the jab, his movement, his head movement, I should say, it was all 10 out of 10. I mean, this oh, was a body work, man. Yeah, it was an amazing performance. And with that, I don't necessarily think that like a win like this, as good as he looked, I don't think uh, 
we're necessarily going to start talking about him getting another title shot anytime soon. But I do believe that this was a win he needed and in the fashion that he probably needed to keep his name relevant, keep his head above water mm. in this very talented Bantamweight division that he is so highly ranked in. Yeah. And like I even said Friday, if he lost this, I mean, one and three in the division, how do you – sure, he would still be probably top six, top seven, but, I mean, at some point, yeah. where where do those matchups dry up and the UFC is just like, this guy ain't really cutting yeah. it in this division. But a win there and now he's – clearly top five still and likely going to be due for another big fight. So Dominic, I'll give you a chance to talk about what you thought of his performance here. I'm sure you're going to feel very similar to what I just said, but then um, going to be similar to, I guess the last question here. Um, where does Jose Aldo sort of fit in for the, I guess, immediate future? Cause we have so many moving parts yeah. at the top. We've had a lot of movement with this Bantamweight division. We're still waiting to get that clarity from the Sterling-Yan matchup. So where does Aldo fit in with the top of the heap? I'm glad you asked that question. Um, <laughs> the fight itself, he looked incredible. It was definitely, like you said, his best performance at 135 pounds. Crazy the guy makes the weight. And mm. Still looks so good doing it. Really, He, he, made, he, made, uh, he made featherweight look difficult at one point in his career. Yeah. Like his fight with Mark Hominick, he really struggled to make it. He's so nobody really, thought this was going to go well. And look what it what's happened yeah i think it's like a clear lifestyle change where he walks around lighter therefore the weight cut's not as bad and he's just as good as they come i mean we're talking about one of the greatest to ever do it the you know the long reigning featherweight champion undefeated for 10 years moves down a weight class two and two in the arguably most stacked if not the second most stacked division in the ufc um and he looked amazing he pieced up munoz picked him apart picked his shots the body work as i previously mentioned incredible his leg kicks were there his head strikes, I mean, his distance, everything he managed was so perfect. And to do it against a guy that's as dangerous as Munoz was very impressive because he never really got into trouble all that much. And Munoz is a very heavy, heavy hitter. Um, what comes next, Noah? I've been calling for this for uh, a very long time. It's going to be the same fight I have, I'm pretty And sure. I'm not going to hear anything else about it. There's no other option because it's something that we've never gotten. And I know it's not what it could have been at one point in time, but damn it. The legacy fight between two goats in their own right in their divisions, Jose Aldo, Dominic Cruz, is the fight to make, and I will stand and fight on this hill. <laughs> no, I, I agree. That is what's next, especially if Aldo wants to continue as a bantamweight. I will raise an interesting point. I watched Luke Thomas's video where he was giving his thoughts on the night of fights. He he does that kind of directly after yeah. these pay-per-view cards. He'll record himself just for like an hour and a half going over um, just kind of what he thought. And I saw him raise an interesting point. He was comparing Aldo's place at this point at Bantamweight, but mostly in his career, to that of Rich Franklin when mm. he had been unseated as the middleweight champion from Anderson Silva and then had lost the rematch where it was like, Okay, for Rich Franklin, a guy at that point who could have just been like, I guess there's nothing really left for me to do. I've been champion. doesn't look like I'll be champion again. Um, but he didn't do that. He, he kept wanting to challenge himself. He stayed motivated and took a lot of high-profile fights. He lost yeah. some. He won some. But whether it was at middleweight, 
whether it was that light heavyweight, yeah. whether it was at 195 pounds, I believe he even had some catchweight belts. Uh, he just was very much the prize fighter. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking a lot of this from Luke. So get people listening, watching, go watch Luke Thomas's video if you want to hear all those thoughts and even more. But I kind of agree with that sentiment. And that's why, like, Who's to say that Aldo doesn't go back up to featherweight for a yeah. big another high profile fight? I like the Cruz one. I want to see that legacy fight, a big fight like mm-hmm. we're talking about here. But um, <laughs> this one is going to sound very outlandish, and you okay. probably have already heard this one thrown around a little bit. But who's to say Conor McGregor's return fight? This guy doesn't go back down the featherweight and fight <laughs> Jose Aldo a second time. Yeah. Now I know right now that sounds crazy because we're sitting there. First off, McGregor was killing himself to cut to featherweight. Mm-hmm. However, it's clear to me that despite what we thought, McGregor's run at, at lightweight would be maybe his best division. It's not featherweight's his best division. <laughs> yeah. So because of that. If he comes back, I mean, if he can, and that's and this is a big if, like if he can get back down to that weight. But again, we're just talking about a guy in Jose Aldo, who we never would have thought could make bantamweight. weight. Yeah, he's done it four times. And he's done it, made it look somewhat. I don't know if easy is the right word, but he's done it pretty clean. Yeah. So, I'm just saying, don't be surprised if when we get closer to McGregor's return bout, if that's not a fight that starts uh, poking its head out. Because okay. if I'm being honest. That would be a pretty fun fight to watch. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you look at their two careers since they fought, who would have thought coming off that 13-second knockout by McGregor that Aldo would be 5-5 five and five since that fight, while I believe Connor is 2-3? and three? Something like that. Yeah. Or three, no, he's three and four. Three and four. Mm-hmm. He he beat Nate Diaz the second time, Eddie Alvarez and Cowboy Cerrone, but he's lost to Nate Diaz. He lost to Habib and Dustin twice. Twice. Yeah. So he's three and four since what was wow, debatably man. the biggest moment of his career. Think about so that. who would have thought coming off of that that Aldo would really remain the more relevant fighter in some ways. Yeah, um, relevant. More in, in terms, terms of, of activity, and yeah, stuff. competition, not not obviously name value. Right. So, um, completely agree though. First and foremost, Aldo Cruz that that fight makes a lot of sense, and Cruz should want that. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's get into the featured belt, mm-hmm. which was one of our headliners, and honestly, they're <laughs> big takeaways as we thought there might be. Um, he does it again, man. Vicente Luque, and just even his last two fights. Don't get me wrong. The guy has impressed me his whole career. There was a time where I looked at him as being, like, one of my guys. Mm. Um, when I say that, like, remember when one of our previous Reddit roundtables, Dom, when I was the question was involving, like, that, that WWE uh, podcast where yeah. they do, like, my boys. Yeah. Guys that will – that have never held titles mm-hmm. may never hold titles, but they're just like your favorite, your boys, you know? Yeah. And Vicente Luque would fall into that group at one point for me, a guy that I'm like, he's never going to win for a title. You know, I'm like, he's in all of these wars. 
he's winning a lot of them, but then he'll lose a couple, you know. Mm-hmm. Never going to really be a guy fighting for a belt, but he'll be competitive enough to hang with a lot of good fighters. Apparently, I underestimate him because uh, he has just improved so much. And in his last two fights, getting two straight submission wins. Both via Dars. I don't care what people say about the Tyron Woodley that he defeated, but that was a better Tyron Woodley than had lost to Gilbert Burns and Colby Covington. And he had never been submitted before, ever. Yeah, but I mean, do you disagree that even though that was the fourth straight loss for Woodley, I think the Woodley that fought Luke Gage was was a better version than what Colby and Gilbert had beat. I agree. So Luke, while having to kind of weather a storm, relatively did it very quick fashion, first round. While here, similar story. Michael Chiesa looked humongous, Mm, by the way. The guy obviously at one time fought at lightweight. Doesn't make any sense. He looks huge here at welterweight. The guy's literally looking like a middleweight. They say he walks around over 200 pounds. Yeah, that's absurd. So, <laughs> surprisingly, Chiesa actually, I think, stunned Luke Gay early on the feet, uh, which was not exactly something to be expected. But then he got a really good takedown, really yeah. powerful takedown. And, you know, I think where he went wrong here was he kind of went more for the submissions rather than um, using his wrestling. Yeah. Because once this turned into a battle of jiu-jitsu, essentially, I think Luke Gay just showed how – uh, not that I would say his jiu-jitsu is better than Kiesa, but how underrated exactly. it might have been yep. by Kiesa coming in here. Um, Kiesa didn't quite have those submissions locked up the way you would want, so he gave Luke a an opportunity to slide out. And then Luke a, that Darce choke is his Wrapped bread and butter. Mm. Is his bread and butter. I mean, did you see how quickly he put oh, that thing yeah. on? Mm-hmm. An amazing performance. And, you know, Dominic, I, I we talked a lot about this in our group chat with our friends. So, mm-hmm. but I got to get this conversation out here because uh, I'm so intrigued now. Give your thoughts on both guys in this fight, but also, where does this put Vicente Luque in the lineup of welterweight contenders who are looking to cash in to be the next challenger for Kamaru Usman? Well. The fight was awesome as for as long as it lasted. Was it 325? Yeah. And uh, like you said, Kiesa got an early stun, which was unexpected, able to land the great takedowns as always. But like you said, he kind of messed up when he started to go for the rear naked. Not that it's a bad idea to go for a submission, but it was never really tight to begin with, and there was always wiggle room, and that's all Luke needs. He's very slick on the ground. Yes, he goes out there and stands and bangs with people, this guy now has 11 knockouts and eight submissions. He does mm-hmm. everything. He is a Swiss army knife in the welterweight division. Um, and then when he locked up that Darce out of seemingly nowhere, the way he transitioned and moved around on the mat so quickly was uh, something to behold. He looked incredible, got the tap, gets the biggest win of his career. That's four in a row now. I'm pretty sure they're all via finish. If not, sue me. I'm pretty close to being all via finish. And now he's going to flip-flop, more than likely, be number five. And he officially enters title contention. <sighs> Does he get it in his next fight, though? This is where the group chat really took off last night. Mm. I was a, I was a bit reserved um, in it, but one of the gentlemen in our group chat was with me, and he was responding with you. Shout out to our friend Jordan, and so he was kind of giving me his thoughts, and I'm reading your messages, and 
I see both sides of the fence, and I don't want to take the words out of your mouth, so I'll let you explain your side. Mm-hmm. But you're more on, okay, I think Luke could go for a title. Whereas our friend is like, well, hmm, I see the argument, but probably not yet. Give him one more. And I'm like smack dab in the middle because, as the headline says, a fresh matchup. That's the biggest thing with champion Kamara Usman right now because everyone he's fighting is a rematch. He just rematched with Masvidal. He's about to rematch with Colby. If he fights Leon after Colby, should he beat Colby, that is technically still a rematch, people. I know it's been like five or six years ago, but still a rematch. Enter Vicente Luque, a fresh matchup. Like I said, a Swiss Army knife that can present problems for Kamaru on the feet and on the ground. And you've got yourself an interesting stylistic clash where all of a sudden, hey, you might be fighting for a belt. However... There is the guy, Leon Edwards, sitting in that spot, and I just feel so bad for the guy because he's on a 10-fight unbeaten streak. He beats Date Diaz up for 24 straight minutes and then gets rocked in the final minute, and it's essentially looked at as a loss for the poor guy. I mean, it's just <laughs> awful. And so part of me is like, it's clear, Luke Edwards, do that fight, number one contender fight, because Luke won't fight Burns because they're best friends, training partners, all that fun stuff. Then part of me is like, you know what, man? Leon's done enough, the poor guy. Let him wait. Get the winner of Usman Colby. Then you get another wrench thrown because if Colby wins, they're going to run the trilogy. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. I'm smack dab in the middle of this now, and I really teeter-totter both ways. You may persuade me today. Jordan may persuade me tomorrow. But as of now, I'm in the middle. Go ahead and go because I know you want to really tackle this. Well, I just to be clear, it was a very respectful debate. Yes. Um, yes. Because I definitely see the point of view of what essentially Jordan's point of view was is the the point of view that probably more fans are going to share, which is that Leon Edwards should be next after Colby Covington and that he has earned it without having to take another fight. Maybe some people would say, well, no, I think he probably should take one more, but I still think right now he would be next after Colby. Um, and then there are a lot of people that think he should have gotten it over Colby. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely see a lot of that. We've talked about this a few times on this podcast. So I'll try not to, um, I guess, run through a lot of the same points. But um, based on what I've seen from Luke in his last two performances against very good competition, again, the best Tyron Woodley we had seen since he had held the belt, basically. Yeah. And then Michael Chiesa, who looked so big and strong here, and we know how good he can be, and he submitted him. And <laughs> Michael Chiesa being submitted, what? Yeah. Against a guy who's known more as a striker, even though we've kind of shown and with stats and ultimately in the results here that yeah. Luke a is more than just a striker, but um, I think sometimes he falls into that Five, three five-round wars or whatever, you know. So my point of view was that I think Luke could very well be the next guy. And and I think we're – I don't want to, I don't want to like, switch up how I worded it there. I'm pretty sure I said um, would be deserving of the next title shot over Leon Edwards. Now, a big argument against this point is that Leon Edwards has a win over Vicente Luque. Yeah. And it happened more recent than Leon Edwards' last loss to Kamaru Usman. So, understandable there. I think when Leon Edwards fans talk about, and I'm not saying I'm not a Leon Edwards fan, but I guess when people who believe Leon Edwards should be next 
are giving their reasons. I always think the unbeaten streak shouldn't necessarily be the the thing they cling to because yes, 10 fight unbeaten streak, which I hate even that's so annoying to say that because, because you have that, contest. Yeah, yeah, like that's not a win. Like I don't yeah. whatever. But um okay, 10 fight unbeaten streak, but nine fight win streak. Which I'm yeah. just gonna word it like that. Um to me you have to dig into that win streak and look at the level of competition. While when Edwards beat Luke at the time he beat him, that for sure put him in front of Luke at that time and should have opened the door to more promising, I guess, challenges to get him farther quicker. But if you look, if you compare their resumes since that fight, Luke has the better wins in my opinion. More active. The top two wins for each guy in their careers is going to be for Edwards, Rafael Dos Anjos, who is not a welterweight, and then Nate Diaz, who, I mean, Nate Diaz is great and all, but not necessarily, I guess, like a top, top five contender. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe, I mean, maybe he is, but like a big name, but not really, I, I wouldn't put him over either of Luke's biggest ones being Tyron Woodley and now Michael Chiesa. So that's to me where my argument came in that like I think Luke and the way he's winning these fights. Yeah. Just how impressive he's looking. He he's makes hurting guys on the feet, but then he's submitting them, choking them out, which is supposed to be not his strongest skill. Yeah. And for Usman again, the fresh matchup and that's where you were Falling in there. I think the fresh matchup matters so much. Sure, does Edwards like should Edwards for most people a nine fight since the last loss being against the champion who at those time they were both prospects? Yeah. Like, yeah, but you that's definitely enough time to say like there's unanswered questions in a rematch. Like it really wouldn't even be like a rematch, in my opinion. Like it is. But it's kind of like the Poirier McGregor. Yeah, where they're too. so far removed. Yeah, it's not to me. It's like just a new fight, really. Yeah. Um, but to me, again, Edwards just and some of this isn't really his fault, but it's just not been the strongest competition. I mean, mm-hmm. when it over Cowboy Cerrone was good, but I mean that Cowboy Cerrone was already kind of on a. I mean, yes, he he kind of bounced back after, but at the time, that was just not the best Cowboy Cerrone we've seen. Um, I just, you know, I, I'm I'm not opposed to Leon Edwards getting the title shot, and I see the arguments. The win over Luke is going to be the biggest one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he beat the guy, but in my opinion, dudes, does anybody out there think Wonderboy is more deserving of a title shot right now than Luke? If you say no, then that's good because I agree. But also, Wonderboy pieced up Luke, yeah, like two years ago. To me, it's just it, like that matters at the time, but then it's all about where you go from there, and timing is everything in this sport. Yeah. So Luke is having stringing together a great last three wins. I think he's on three fight winning streak. These last two have been very good statement performances. I think the timing is in his favor. While for a guy like Leon, who is just so been unfortunately in some of it his fault, some of it not but so inactive. Yeah. I just don't see where he's, I don't see him getting the shot over Luke. I really don't. And you could say that that's, that shouldn't be the case or whatnot. I, in my eyes right there where I just 
predict that. That's more off of what I think the company will do. I think Usman likes the matchup. He tweeted about more. it. He, I think he likes the idea of fighting Luke more than Edwards. I think he might even probably give Luke's name a little more value than Edwards at this point, which, at the, I mean, the, to me, that's like splitting hairs. They're yeah. neither guys necessarily breaking down the box office, but that doesn't really matter. Um, I, I just, the fresh matchup is going to be the, the key here. And it's just hard when a guy is putting on statement after statement win. And for Edwards, I think he does. I would like to see Edwards, uh, Luke fight in the meantime. Because that rematch is pretty long removed, right? It's been a few years. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember. I think it was 2018, maybe. Maybe. I mean, you look at what each have done since. I mean, yeah. I mean, you you just seen a lot of improvements since then for both guys. Yeah. So I think there's room to run that fight back. And considering that, in my like, those are the two guys after Colby right now in my eyes. Yeah. Gilbert's in there, but. Still needs um, at least one. Yeah, not two. and then you still got Kiesa and Wonder Boy in there, but they're like further out. Masvidal, and Masvidal further out. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people were talking about Luke Masvidal, which might be a better fight, but personally, I just think Luke Edwards would be the fight to do. And then do so, Burns Masvidal. Sure. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not even thinking I know. about. I'm getting a little. Yeah, maybe Burns Kiesa. I don't know. It's just, there's some interesting matchups. Uh, but I would like to see those two determine who's the number one contender after. I just think Usman might be like, no, I want Luke A because it's a fresh matchup. And, and that could very well that's just fair. be like, all right, let's do it. That's you know? fair in my opinion. So let's get into the rest, Dominic, because I just went on a big, long tangent right. right there. So right. we got we got a few more fights to talk about. Again, on the main card, Tisha Torres, now 2-0. Over Angela Hill with another unanimous decision win on Saturday. Um, I didn't have a lot going into this fight that I really felt was relevant to talk about. I guess it was more like the, I feel like the aftermath might have more to talk about. And really, my question here for you, Dom. Shout out Tisha Torres. That's four fights in a row after she had had a tough losing streak at one point in her yeah, career. A bit of a resurgence. Yeah, a bit of a resurgence. So respect to her for that. But I think the bigger talking point here is for the loser, Angela Hill. And I haven't seen a lot of this chatter online. But is it time to that we might need to evaluate, like, Angela Hill's future? Like what's next? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, um, her record's not great in the UFC. And we recognize that she is a relevant strawweight fighter. Yeah. She is a good strawweight fighter. She could just – as easily be 500 in her record as she could be what she is, which is, I think, like 8 and 12 or something 9 and 12 like or something like that. Um, she could be 10 and 10 if a couple decisions went her way that probably should have. However, they haven't went her way, and, you know, this record's not good. And this was a disappointing performance in my eyes for her. She did what she does, and she didn't look bad. I just thought I needed to see more aggression out of her, more of a – um, I think she just needs to be more willing to engage, maybe. Uh, make it dirty, man. Get in there and make it a dog fight. Like, Especially against someone like Tisha, who is going to bring it to you. Yeah, you have for, to be aggressive. For for someone who has been on the bad end of a couple decisions, like get pissed off and yeah. be like, no, you will not screw me over this time. And yeah. I just didn't see that urgency out of her. Um, but what I'm getting at here, Dominic, is I want to get your thoughts on – where do you think Angela Hill goes from here? 
is there really anything left for her to do at this point? We know the UFC likes her. They get, they've had her in some commentary roles. So she has become a part of that family of uh, fighters turned mm-hmm. commentators now. But is there anything left for her in terms of fighting? Should there be anything left? Should she really keep going? Should UFC really keep putting her in these kind of matchups? Because at this point, in a lot of ways for me, it's looking like she might lose to the people you want her to beat, but beat the people you want her to lose to. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm looking at her now and I say this lightly and not in like a negative term because the word gatekeeper gets thrown around and gets like a negative sentiment, but I don't think it always has to necessarily be looked at that way. And I look at Angela Hill as essentially like a top 15 welcoming to the, you know, the up and comers or the people that have been on skids and are then fighting their way back. Kind of like Tisha where, okay, Angela, if you beat her a very tough test, someone who's been in there with the best in this division if you beat her, you have earned a spot in the rankings pool to ascend closer to the top 10, so on and so forth. And I just feel like that's what she's going to kind of keep doing. She's the most active female fighter on the roster, regardless of weight class. She's not afraid to accept fights on short notice. She'll go in there against someone making their UFC debut or someone like Tisha Torres, who's been in there, you know, 10, 12 times. So um, I don't think it's anything where she's going to be released or cut. I do think she's going to continue fighting. She is a little bit older in terms of the weight class. I think she's 36 or 37. Um, but, man, she's always in fun fights regardless. This one was fun as well. More one-sided for Tisha, but still fun. And uh, I think it's just more of the same going forward. Maybe not another ranked fighter next because it is a few in a row now against ranked people. But, yeah, man, welcoming people into that top 15 um, is kind of where I see her wheelhouse in this kind of latter tier of her career. I do just want to give a shout out to Tisha as well because I know you want to talk about Angela, but I'll get on her again. The three or three or four fight win streak she's on, the career resurgence. She looked very good, very aggressive, clean, um, grappling, striking. So uh, she's going to launch herself back into the top ten where she hasn't been in quite some time. Um, very excited to see what will come next for her as well. Yeah, I, uh, truthfully, I'm sure the fight was fine on Saturday. Like, yes, I guess you could call it fun, but – to me, it's like I just don't care. Like for Torres, I hate to be that way because Torres put on a good performance and she is on a bit of a resurgence. But this is where my problem comes for Angela Hill moving forward. I'm seeing the same type of performances out of her and they're not getting the job done. So I'm not seeing anything. Again, the lack of urgency is just bothering me a little bit where, you know, she, she seems so pissed off after being on the wrong end of these decisions. And this one was obviously more in Torres's favor, not really a, a, t- a decision that was hard to make, but because of that, I'm just, I don't know if I necessarily, do I need to see Angela Hill in a high profile fight anymore? Like what's it really do? You know, she's, she's under 500. Like to me, you would, <laughs> let's say that she went on a four fight or five fight winning streak after this. That would put her at what, like 12 and 12 or 13 and 12 or 14 mm-hmm. and 12, whatever. Sure, that might – five fights in a row, maybe she would be knocking on the door for a title shot in terms of rankings. But are you really going to give someone who's like a 500 fighter in your promotion a title shot? Maybe, but it's like – I don't know. I just – I don't really see, I guess, the interest to – you know, I like her. I like – 
her personality and that she she is in fun fights a lot of times but i'm just starting to not care about her fights Mm -hmm. as much like again coming into this one was very close to not really even we didn't we i mean we didn't really even say much about it friday there just wasn't much to talk about yeah so next time she fights i may not there may she may not even make it like she may not even be on the rest it's just how it's kind of turned for her at this point some of that her fault some of it not just i don't know i'm i'm just it's kind of a it's just annoying or upsetting i guess and i don't know neither of those words are accurate for those are a bit too strong i guess it's just it's a little disappointing that um i thought we were going to see something a lot more out of her here than what we got fair enough um opening up our main card was a couple prospects who did put on a very good show song Yudong does get the split decision nod over casey kenny truthfully dominic you know i i admitted i was watching a lot of these fights on my phone uh while hanging out with a lot of my friends um, up until the Torres Hill fight, from mm-hmm. then on, was watching on the TV with commentary, got the crowd and all that. So because of that, I didn't really score this fight live. I mean, I paid attention, but didn't really have it. You know, in my head, I was like, I looked close, and obviously the scorecards tell me it went pretty close. But I'm going to let you give your thoughts here first, so that I think you probably have a, a more clear grasp on what you saw. Yeah, I mean, the fight went probably how most of the community expected it to be two young guns that were going to come out and give it all they had uh, because that's what they do. And Song Yudong is still only 23 years old, by the way. I'm so impressed with this guy and kind of the names he's already racked up and even in, in losses as well to be that young. I think he has a super high ceiling. And for Casey Kinney, a guy that was a former two-division champion in LFA, still a high ceiling for him. I know it's a two-fight skid, but it was against Dominic Cruz via split decision and against Song Yudong via split decision. So he's in close fights, dog fights if that. He was very disappointed the judges didn't see it his way. Um, I know you didn't score it live. I personally had it for Song Yudong, two to one. But it was a very fun fight. And I think, like, if you're Casey Kinney and it is your second loss in a row, there's nothing to hang your hat on here. Again, look at the guys that it's been against. Um, He still has a pretty solid record in the UFC, even though he's still early on in his career. So I think he can easily bounce back. Um, against another kind of a prospect name in this division. And it's one of the hardest divisions in the in the UFC. So just wait and see if you stack together a few, you're all of a sudden in top 10 territory and making a name for yourself. But Song Yudong, ever impressive as always. Again, 23 years old. Uh, the Asian market behind him as well. We know how big that is for the UFC right now. So, um, you know, a future prospect, or he's already a prospect, but a guy that can – crack into the top 15, maybe with one or two more big wins on his resume. Very fun fight, two electric fighters, and they're going to keep performing the same way moving forward. Is Song Yudong not ranked right now? No. Oh, he was. I don't know. He must have fallen out. Um, yeah, I, I like those thoughts. Song Yudong, good win for you here. However, what what I – this might be a hot take. Um, you can give me your, your gut reaction to this. Okay. I almost walk away from this thinking Casey Kenny might have the more complete game because he is known as a bit more of a grappler. Yeah. But he, I guess, and maybe this is, I'll, I'll just explain and then you can tell me. Okay. Maybe we'll talk, we'll talk to, we'll talk through this together. Um, Casey Kenny, more of, of a grappler and had a hard time. Songy Dong showed some really good takedown defense. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a lot of opportunities to get this fight to the ground. So because of that, Kenny, who is not necessarily known as a striker, held his own 
on the feet with the more powerful, probably more diverse skill set of Yudong. So I guess in my mind, I was like, well, maybe Kissy Kenny does have maybe the more complete skill set. But again, if you can't get the fight to your wheelhouse, um, that's something you're just going to have to work on. But I think that might be less of a learning curve for him than for a lot of people who show glaring weaknesses in their game. Yeah, I think Kenny uh, could bounce back from this in a big way. For Yudong, he's 23 years old. I mean, the guy's phenomenal at this point in his career. The Very fact active. That he's still, he's still – you know, taking and beating a lot of guys that are much older than him, and he's just doing it relatively. I mean, this wasn't an easy fight, but it's not a fight he took a lot of damage in. You know, that's mm. that's a big thing because you compare him, like you know, look at a guy like Max Holloway, who was taking so much damage in his career. But um, we all love him. We all think he's amazing. He's put on amazing fights, amazing performances, but he's taking a lot of damage. Yudong doesn't quite have that as another guy that started in the UFC at a young age. Mm -hmm. So that's good for him. Um, I do like his style of fighting. I I think uh, I like it in terms of how far it can take him. He's kind of good everywhere. I think he's still developing where his strengths really are. Like what is really Song Yudong, like when you think of him, what is his number one thing? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think he's still finding that out, which is kind of impressive considering he was at one point a top 15 Bantamweight and probably still is in some ways. And, uh, yeah, good win, I thought. Yeah. Uh, The headliner, the prelims. This was the fight of the night overall, people. This fight was (laughs) fan-freaking-tastic as Rafael Fizayev. Gets the nod over Bobby Green via unanimous decision. But y'all got to stop sleeping on Bobby, including me and probably Dominic a little bit too. I think we're, I don't want to talk for you. Just uh, in terms of we all like me, me and you, we like Bobby Green. Oh, yeah. We like the run he's been on as of late. but And we recognize that his talent is on the feet. You know, he's a good boxer. Mm-hmm. But a guy who in his losses hasn't really changed – you know, he hasn't – I don't want to say he hasn't improved. He has. But some of his weaknesses I don't think he has improved on. He's sort of just retooled and strengthened his already strengths. Yeah. But I think a lot of the the reasons when he, he's lost certain fights, he hasn't necessarily worked Cleaned to improve those. So because of that, good boxer. But I thought Fazayev might be in for a bit of a showcase here as probably – the much better striker in terms of well-roundedness. You know, he mm-hmm. implements a lot more kicks and um, probably just has a more diverse skill set in general. However, these guys went back and forth, and uh, this this really turned into a cardio battle in some yeah. ways, which ultimately Bobby Green kind of won that battle. Uh, round three was a very clear Bobby Green round, but the right guy got the nod here in Fazayev. He, he definitely won two-to-one. Clear as day, but these guys were throwing bombs at each other for all three rounds. Fazayev, again, mixing in the kicks, mixing in some body work, throwing a lot of good headshots. Bobby Green um, doing a lot of good work on his own, laying some really good shots to the head. However, he was trying to, he was really trying to uh, lure Fazayev into um, some traps, maybe getting a little cocky, putting his hands down, um, shaking his head after Fazayev would throw some strikes. So, doing a little bit of mind games in there. I'm not sure how much that really worked, but uh, still something worth noting. And 
this fight was just a lot of fun. I mean, the mm. crowd went crazy for it from what I heard. Again, I watched it on my phone. wasn't yeah. Didn't have the crowd noise, but uh, that's what you love to see. And neither guy – both guys should be elevated from this because we mm. already value and look at Pazayev as, yes, he's still – at this point, maybe he's not a top five lightweight, but I think he's right – he's on his way to becoming a top five lightweight. And for Bobby Green to hang in there and be so close with him. With the young gun, yeah. kind of think that he's not too far off from that as well. And maybe I didn't – maybe I undervalued even how good I thought Bobby Green was. And he is a bit on the older side at this point. So the clock is ticking, I guess, for him to, to, to make those improvements to move forward. But if he gets the right matchups, man, he could be top ten before you know it. Yeah, and um, a very exciting fighter, like you mentioned, for Fazayev. You know, he's arguably the biggest prospect at 155 right now. Obviously, we know how stacked this division is. Mm-hmm. And for now, what is he, 3-0, and 4-0 and in the UFC now? I think he a has big, one loss. One loss? Uh, like, uh, yeah, he, it was like his debut or something. Okay. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, he's putting these wins together now against very prominent names. And you look at, you know, Bobby Green – what he's done and had that kind of resurgence last year in the apex, then goes on to fight Moises, really put together a good fight there, lost to close. I think that was a split decision, then fights Fazayev and loses a unanimous. So he's welcoming, you know, these new faces, the fresh blood, but still it kind of speaks to what a win over a guy like Bobby Green can do for your career. And so if you're Rafael Fazayev here, I truthfully see him potentially fighting a top 15 guy next Honestly, I think him and Tiago Moises is the fight to make. I think it's a jiu-jitsu test for Fazayev, and we know it's a striker-grappler matchup, essentially. And I got to say, his shout-out or his call-out at the end of the fight for <laughs> Hasbula was uh, quite funny as well. Bringing in kind of the MMA Twitter into the UFC octagon for the first time was fun. So, uh, man, he wears the headgear, and you know what we say, if they wear the headgear – you're probably in some trouble. You so. better run. You better yes. run. Yes. Um, what's funny is I actually had a more clear matchup for our loser here in Bobby Green. Fazayev, I think, top 15 for sure. Yeah. I think you could give him anyone 10 through 15, and I'd be okay with that. Yeah. However, for Bobby Green, I'm thinking a fight with Drew Dober. Mm. And the winner of that fight, personally, in my opinion, would be in line to get a top 15 top next. 15. That's a perfect um, fight. Two guys that have – Really, you know, they're not have been on the cleanest of runs. Bobby Green, I think they're both on two fight losing streaks right now. Yeah, now they are. However, they've kind of crossed that line from really to where it almost doesn't matter as much because they're just always in these really good, fun fights. And there are guys that will step up and take short notice fights, will take fights against tough matchups. Mm-hmm. And the UFC likes those kind of guys. So I think they're sort of crossing that line to where. Yes, wins and losses do matter, and you don't want to stack up a big losing streak, yeah. but um, maybe a little less so for these two, along with the likes of guys like Cowboy Cerrone, Nico Price, uh, right. you know, some of those guys, Michelle Pereira, guys where um, they just are always really fun, and they just, you just kind of match them up against each other at some point. Exactly. And the last one here, this was the headliner of the early prelims. We didn't talk about it on Friday, but I, I really – I figured we would have something to talk about here. Didn't go the way. In some ways, I'm happy with what occurred, but then there's a blemish here too because at flyweight, we had Manel Cape, the former Ryzen flyweight champion, who we were very excited about 
as he came into the UFC. Back-to-back fights, he has dropped in his debut with Pantoja, very tough fight. Lost that one pretty clearly, then lost a very close fight in the follow-up. I forget who he lost to. It's a bit of, the name's a bit hard. To, yeah, I can't um, remember off the top of my head. But it was a very good fight and a fight that very close. So then he's 0-2, and, and you're kind of like, uh, I mean, if he loses a third straight, like yeah. this division's the not – The experiment's over. This yeah. division's not deep, you know. And he was getting a matchup with Ode Osborne, who is still really trying to find his place in the promotion, but a guy who's fought at Bantamweight a few times, fought Brian Kelleher on the UFC 246 card. That mm-hmm. was McGregor Cerrone. I believe they were on the main card, actually. And uh, – a lot of people like Ode Osborne, so, you know, not an easy fight by any means. But then Manel Cape misses weight yeah. by four pounds, which was nearly, nearly the the nail on the coffin for this guy's UFC career. However, mm. fight takes place, and Manel Cape does get the knockout via flying knee and some follow-up shots. Round one, four minutes, 44 seconds. A great performance out of Manel Cape here. Pretty much back and forth for the first round. Bit of a feeling out round up until the actual yeah. knockout itself. And when, knockout is loose term here because uh, the referee did jump in pretty quick. I think Osborne kind of got flash KO'd. KO. He got knocked out, came back too. But the referee had already committed to stopping the fight by then. Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily – I don't think it's a bad call by the ref. I think it's just unfortunate maybe. Um Timing just rough for the guy, but I mean, if you flash, if you get flash KO'd, I mean, you probably should be done. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> so big win for Cape, and he does it in a highlight real fashion. But Dominic, you There's do a great have, cloud. You do yeah. have the the miss weight here. So, what does this mean for Manel Cape standing in the UFC? Because even with this win, is there's some baggage here. You know, mm. not he's underperforming, and then you have the missed weight. Um, some people were even online saying that they felt like this was deliberate, like a way for him to just try to get some sort of advantage because he knew he needed a win here. Mm. I'm not, I know we ain't going to accuse him of that, but still the fact that people are calling him out for that says that maybe he's souring himself with the fans at this point. What, what, where, where does Cape go from here? Yeah. I mean, obviously we'll start with the positive and it's like, okay, the first two fights, he didn't let the hands go in the rare moments when he did, he looked very good. So in this one, after another feeling out type fight, he finally let it go and he ends up getting a great finish, but he misses weight. And, you know, maybe it's the thing where is this guy maybe wanting to do 135? Is the weight cut getting to him as he continues to get older? Can he compete with the guys at 135? Was it just a bad camp? What went wrong here? Because it's great because we've been wanting to see this from an Cape and he gets the win finally that he needed in the UFC, but with the weight miss, it does hinder it quite a bit. Uh, he had to, you know, forego his purse. Obviously that makes him uh, ineligible to get a bonus after a really good KO. So what's next for the guy? I mean, I don't think he's going to be gotten rid of just because he did win inevitably, but what could have been a very great win that could catapult him right back into that. Cause again, it's not the deepest weight class. So one or two wins and you're really right there in like top 10 area. Now all of a sudden it's still, he doesn't really move much at all. So really a similar matchup could come next for him here. And if he goes out there and 
wins again, but this time does it cleanly, no weight misses, then we could finally maybe see some of this potential we've been anxiously awaiting. But as of right now, there's not a lot of takeaways you can have just because there was a, a bright spot, but it's more so shadowed by the weight miss. His second loss was to Matthias Nicolau. I looked that up. That was a good guy, a good opponent. Um, good guy, like I know him. Good opponent, <laughs> good, a, a good flyweight on his way up right now. However, um, yeah, I I definitely agree with that sentiment. It's, it's very unclear, I think. Less yeah. clear than it would have been if he had just made the weight and had the, the highlight mm-hmm. reel knockout. Um, I, I don't think it's so bad that, like, again, highlight reel – finish you know flying knee type deal and then i think that's going to make up for this a little bit yeah you know because it just getting the win probably would have been enough to keep his head above water but in the fashion he did it will probably help um i just don't i just don't know i can't it's hard for me to get a read here because after the fight basically you see his coach gives him his black belt, which you know is always a big moment. Mm-hmm. But he gets his black belt after basically doing no jujitsu, <laughs> and um, also he missed weight, which is like kind of weird. I'm like, oh, that's strange. And then he was celebrating a lot after this fight, which makes me think that he knew that this was a bit of do or die mm-hmm. for him here. So I'll be curious to see what kind of, as I mentioned earlier with Angela Hill, what level of urgency. Manel Cape show and maybe even his next fight. He bought himself one more, but I don't think he, I don't think he necessarily bought himself a three fight deal here. I think yeah. uh, this next fight is still kind of a bit of you gotta do or die a little bit too. I think he's gonna be on that until he can have a clean win with no if ands or buts about it. I think you're gonna have to take it fight by fight with him for now. Do but you, no, sorry, go ahead. No, I want to see. I want to hear your question. Uh, I was just. Do you think maybe, and whatever comes next for him, do we see maybe a future for Manel Cape at 135 potentially? Uh, he's probably big enough for the division, but I – I don't want to just throw out accusations because it's one weight miss, but it just – I don't know. There's yeah, just so um, many questions here regarding him as there would be for another guy. I would say for him – Stay at flyweight for now, but if he wants to go to bantamweight, sure. I just think, considering he is on a bit of a fight by fight basis in my head right now, you might want to stick with the division you know best, the division that you're going to be bigger in. Yes, if the if the weight cuts really that bad, then sure. But he's not really had a history of this, so yeah. that's why I'm I'm less, I guess, I'm less likely to say, all right, he needs to go up. You know, hopefully it was just one bad yeah. miss and we'll bounce back from here. I'll be interested to see who he gets matched up with next. Will he get a top 15? Because, again, not the deepest division. Or will he still be kind of hovering in that? I, I don't even know how many contracted flyweights there are. There's, I think there's less than 30. 20-something, so. yeah. So will he still be kind of fighting like an unranked guy next? I mean, that either one would make sense it's just I, I'm curious to see how the UFC value him at this point. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but good win. Just need to get it done clean next time. Right. That's going to wrap it up here. As you can see, it's getting very dark in my room. So <laughs> it is. To stay up. <laughs> um, but that's going to wrap it up for the MMA Weekend Recap. Next time you see us, we'll be on Friday with another MMA Weekend Preview. Yeah. 
Bellator and PFL. Mm -hmm, exactly. But until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Deasley14. More importantly, go follow, engage. Give us a shout-out for one year, the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. You can find it on social media at B-A-J underscore MMA podcast. I just want to say, because Noah did off the top, thank you, everyone, for one year, full support, and uh, many, many more years and episodes and and just knocking barriers down to go. Okay, go <laughs> ahead, Noah. It's dark yeah. in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before I get scared, I gotta you look like you're in a scary movie, <laughs> like the Blair um, Witch when she's yeah, on. Go ahead, go ahead. yeah. <laughs> uh, Twitter, Instagram at ntbaker underscore. There's a link on in my bio on both of those for the link tree, which has all the platforms that the podcast's on, along with social media platforms. Um, also, a couple links for today's sponsor, Anchor. Shout out to Anchor, been with us pretty much since day one. Um, Link for the voice message. If you want to leave a message, uh, we'll include it in the episode. And a link if you want to become a supporter of the podcast, throw a few bills at us, and uh, we'll do whatever you want. Yeah. So, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's it. We're out, and we're going to see y'all on Friday.